0: This is the Saxo Market Call, daily insights on what is moving the financial markets.
1: Hello and welcome to this Saxo Market Call special edition called Equity Outlook 2023. Uh, I am here in the studio with Kim Kramer Larsen. Um, we are recording this equity outlook on. Uh, on December the um the 16th so it's a Friday so some of the numbers uh will be a little bit outdated when this podcast is out on uh Wednesday uh the 28th of December um we're going to look ahead uh and not look so much at what happened of course a little bit what happened in 2022 but mostly what is going to happen um this slide too I've put here on today's slide deck. you can find that in a little link in the uh, podcast description sort of, I think, sums up our ideas about what happened in 2022. It will go down as a very important year, sort of the end of the unconstrained globalization over 40 years. You can see some of the themes that have been doing extremely well. We'll talk a little bit about that as well, both from a fundamental and a technical perspective, which is Kim's expertise here. So you can see some of the themes. So we have a new geopolitical geopolitical situation, tangible versus the intangible world. We think there will be a structural inflationary period, and. We have this deglobalization going on, where sits China uh, inside that framework, and then the whole green transformation. I don't want go, I won't go too much into it because all the podcasts we have done over this year, I think we have been very good at sort of articulating our thoughts about this. So if we just, before we roll into 2023, we can look back and look at the drawdown we are in so far, for which basically happened, uh, Kim, on the 1st of January this year, at least in the S&P 500. And this is a current drawdown. It it sort of follows very nicely uh, previous patterns of very long drawdowns. I've been arguing quite a while that this will not be a short drawdown because of the lacking effect from the pandemic and then the inflation and then the interest rate shock. And I think we, this drawdown could easily last uh, maybe two years. So maybe sometime next year we we'll, we could find a bottom. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about what that, what that requires if we get a bottom. And I have highlighted the 3200 a couple of times sort of a, a target that could be in play. And I don't I don't want to dwell too much on the drawdowns. We have talked about that in previous podcasts. But I mean I think the slide four came very naturally uh is your domain here because technically what, what are we what are we looking at? What are we seeing in the S P five hundred as we, we go into the new year?
0: Yeah, what, what is actually quite interesting is how we got uh, rejected at this uh, medium-term falling trend line. This uh, chart here on uh, page uh, four is a weekly chart, uh, so it shows the medium-term uh, trends. And we got rejected here the, the past couple of weeks, and it seems like we are picking up uh, the downtrend again. Um, and yes, 3,200 is the uh, level around uh, the uh, lower level of the consolidation area going back to... Uh, the bounce after the pandemic scare uh, or the Corona scare back into uh, 2020, uh, that it will be a very key support level. And I do believe we could see a test of that uh, in Q, Q2 next year, uh, possibly. And and uh, just to to add to what you said about the um, previous slide, where you can see what it more or less follows uh, the, the downtrend uh, from previous downtrends or, or bear markets is because, well... Um, market reacts more or less the same way the same patterns when when it moves up and also when it moves down and everyone wants to get out of the door more or less at the same time but yeah we're in a downtrend um 3200 very key level for for next year and we have had around three re- relief rallies
1: since the peak uh around late early uh, late 2021 early uh, this year uh which is also quite natural in in a in a downward market uh, and we've just had another one as you said and now we're rolling over maybe going into a new down downward wave here into the new year but, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, that's correct, and 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 that's also quite natural because sometimes, I mean, it, it's not all bad news. We also get some uh, good news, and then you will see some bargain hunters coming in, and they're also people that are, you know, just bulls. I mean, they 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 think, oh, now things are cheap, uh, stocks are cheap, let's buy some, and then you get a little bit of relief because the, the selling pressure is easing a little bit but then the more fundamental maybe or the more the bigger ones they're starting to offloading uh, shares again in, in in an upward trend. but it's quite normal and it usually corrects around 618 retracement of of the previous uh uh downtrend and so it's quite normal and and that's why we also see these you know fairly consistent uh falling trend lines here yes all right uh, and and one of the themes that ha- that
1: has been ongoing in 2022 has been this whole the tangible world outperforming the intangible world. We've we've shown this chart before on the podcast and during the year, and basically ever since the uh, the great financial crisis, the intangible world, so pharmaceutical companies, biotech, software, these type of companies have been outperforming. Sort of, I won't call it the real world because that's wrong. But it's 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 the physical stuff that is really capital intensive, and the the stuff we are building in the physical world. And what we have seen since the uh, since the pandemic and and, and last year is a uh, sort of a, a comeback to the changeable world. It hasn't been spectacular, but there has been a little bit of comeback. and that of course, has coincided with the comeback of value stocks as well. And when you push up the uh, the cost of capital, the interest rate, it it typically creates these cycles and we also had a pretty forceful cycle for the changeable world in the in the commodities boom years going into the great financial crisis. And I think when we talk about the um, inflation of the physical world, If there was one inflation hedge this year, it was the energy sector. And that naturally puts that sector on the spotlight for next year, Kim. And you have put here on slide six, you have put in a
0: a chart on the, is that the U.S. uh,
1: energy sector? Yeah,
0: that's the uh, ETF for the energy sector in in the U.S. Uh, And I mean, it shows very clearly what's been going on for the past uh, year or so uh, by the energy sector. This is a monthly chart, by the way, on slide six. Uh, shows very clearly what, what what's been going on in the energy sector. But what is interesting when I had a deeper look at it yesterday is that uh, it actually formed what we call an evening doji top and reversal pattern. We also have some uh, strengthening uh, indicator uh, indicating a little bit of weakening, or actually a weakening of the uptrend. So so we could see a a um, in the beginning of next year uh, Q1. Uh, a, a correction, maybe around, in, I would say, about uh, maybe 20% uh, before picking up again, because I, I still believe that, and from the charts also, the underlying trend is up, but but it seems like we, we need a bit of a correction here. Yeah, I think that correction that is coming in
1: right now, of course, uh, is related to the uncertainty around the economy. But we'll talk about China later, and you also have a chart on, on China, Kim, because I think China is the big X factor that potentially could extend this rally in the energy market. One of the things that will be key next year is, of course, whether we get a recession or not. This chart here on uh, on slide seven is uh, US leading indicators. And um, they're not always perfect because they constantly fit it best to previous recessions and all recessions, are, of course, unique. But when we look at the month to month, sorry, and six month average in the month to month figures, we now have levels of leading indicators that are on par with what we saw going into the great financial crisis if we sort of exclude the pandemic because it was so unique and abrupt in its nature and the these leading indicators are suggesting that the US economy is moving into a recession we already probably have Europe in a type of recession we're going to talk about Europe in a while this is gentlemen the key question that will dominate uh, equity trading next year and i'm leaning towards that we will get a recession the question is whether it will be a moderate, normal one, or it will just be a mild one. And our team and Steve Jacobson are definitely arguing for uh, for what is called a shallow, very narrow uh, and mild recession because of the enormous stimulus we have had in the nominal economy. But that's an ongoing discussion. And of course, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about that in next year's podcast. And one of the things as well that is important for next year for equities, of course, because it drives interest rates, is the inflation rate. Uh, the inflation rate is rolling over. But as we have talked about in some of our recent equity notes, um, if we look at the the, um, the inflation rate in the U.S. services sector, excluding the impact of energy, we can see that it, it is quite sticky. It is rolling over. The key question next year, and that's also why the central banks in this week, and now we're recording on a Friday, but this week we have had some hawkish messages from the Fed and the ECB. And that's because they don't really know where the floor is on the inflation rate. And we will get much wiser. And Saxo is definitely not in the consensus camp. We believe the floor will be much higher than what the market really believes. Um, and of course, the important thing for, for inflation is where wages will be. This uh, chart here on uh, slide nine is the uh, the, wage, the wage growth for those that switch jobs in the U.S. And it has jumped to 8.1% year a year. It's the highest uh, on record for this time series. And um, if companies cave in to these uh, wage demands, uh, both in Europe and the U.S. Right now, the wage demand is higher in the U.S. than in Europe. Then, of course, that could add inflation. It could also is one of the key drivers why we could have a shallow recession. Because if you're compensated, you'll keep on with your consumption. Um, and we soon have to get you back into the conversation, Kim. But one more important point, and maybe you actually you have a comment. I don't know you because sometimes you also track the fixed income market and i put in here on slide 10 i put in a chart here on the fed funds rate futures for december 2023 just to get a sense of where is the market and the market firmly is not believing jerome powell jerome powell said on the on the fmc press conference uh this this week that they are they see the policy rate just north of five percent and the market is pricing in around four and a half so and so i see this as really as one of the big indicators to watch for next year and you can find also this this uh, futures on the on the actual trader where y- you don't see it as a yield but you see it as a figure so 95 implies a five percent because it's 100 minus the futures contract that is your pricing in in yield terms Um i don't know what you what you're thinking um kim here because you're also watching the fixed income market
0: yeah true uh yeah the t- u.s 10-year yields that's the one i'm looking at we actually do have that on on, on the platform also uh uh not only the uh the futures uh However, uh, what is very interesting from a technical perspective um, is around where we are trading now, three and a half percent. It is jumping around here, three forty-five, three fifty-five, and it seems like it's founding. It's, it, it has tried to found a floor here, and I, I do believe we will start picking up and i have mentioned it uh, earlier i believe also in in a previous uh, publication that i actually see uh, the us 10 year around 475 maybe even 5% uh, next year all right i i, I think you uh, i
1: think you will be proven right on that one I, I, it, to me it seems like the the bond market is not really prepared for what is going on. And I don't think the bond market is accurately pricing in the inflation outlook, but I also think the equity market is not pricing in the real outlook that is, is coming for next year. But we'll get to that. I've shown these charts in some of my presentations, slide 11 here. So these are these are showing basically that a one year ahead is more important what margins are doing for companies than revenue and other things. It it There is an 80% correlation. Uh, with future uh, earnings, and I am my thesis for next year is that margins will begin to roll over, and the headwind, uh, headwinds will be so immense that even though there will be meaningful revenue growth, they can't escape the uh, the margin compression. and We will see earnings coming down, and if, if interest rates, as you're saying, Kim, is also coming up, they will have a double whammy on the equity market, and that is the recipe for that second phase in the drawdown profile that we talked about earlier in the podcast. I was showing. The drawdowns in the S and P 500. I think it's quite hilarious that we have only taken the the uh, twelve months forward EPS down by four percent from its uh, recent recent peak. And I think, to a large extent, we have to talk about Tesla because when we talk about how little expectations have come down in the S and P 500, a company where expectations right now are being revised very fast is in Tesla, and is one of the most traded stocks. So we of course have to talk about about Tesla. The outlook has changed dramatically in three months. Uh, It's very clear demand is coming down in China and Europe. Commodity prices are still very high. And technically, I'm not the expert you are, Kim, but to me, this looks like a super ugly chart. And even if you expanded the chart over a longer term horizon,
0: I mean, it just seems like it's almost unlimited how far it could go down. Uh, that is true, and uh yeah, and it's also the 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 company that I, that I have done the, the most analysis on and posted on on our platforms and our websites and and everywhere um and it's true if we go back even further, which I've done on some of the charts, this is a weekly chart here on slide twelve and uh yeah my 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 target is around one hundred and ten, which is the lower level of that consolidation area we saw back there in 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 uh, twenty twenty but that's not necessarily where it's gonna end. Uh because if it becomes really ugly for a Tesla, really hyped a hyped company like Tesla, then it could become e- e- even uglier. And as you said, yeah, there's no there's almost no flaw. But there of course there is. Mm. Um sure. and, and but this has been a massive bubble. Uh a lot of stocks have been a massive bubble. But this this one especially. And and usually when a bubble bursts or implodes with Tesla is clearly doing at the moment, uh, it usually comes back to uh, at least the the, uh, uh, the larger correction. And that was uh, some of them. they all already taking that one, those one out uh, back in 2020 20 and 21. Um But sometimes they also come back to, uh, to the floor uh, or the base. And then we are back suddenly uh, below uh, 50. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I had this
1: round number in my head uh, around a $200 billion market cap. Um, and that I think equates to something around in the neighborhood of somewhere between fifty dollars and seventy-five dollars each. Hmm. Um and, and and that would take it down to levels we had before it really took off during the uh, during the pandemic. Um yep, absolutely. And, and, and some of the some of the cause as well is that Elon Musk is is seems extremely distracted with his Twitter acquisition. He has funded this whole very expensive acquisition, He's sold uh enormous amount of uh enormous amount of uh of tesla shares um there's i don't know whether he's he, he i don't think he's necessarily getting a marching call right now but it's very clear that he's using his collateral in tesla to drum up and finance his acquisition and twitter i think it's a very it's potentially a very dangerous spiral that he has gotten himself into this i think is going to be one of the most interesting and fascinating stories and i know you'll be writing more about that next oh yeah year. absolutely <laughs> um i also write a, i wrote a piece um a month ago where i had this uh, headline don't wish for an average equity market and and with an average equity market i meant what happens to the s&p 500 if we go back to an average pe ratio what happens if we go back to an average uh, profit margin and some of these are some of the scenarios uh, they look quite uh, depressing to say at the least the current pe ratio in the s&p 500 is 18.5. the long term average is 15 um, I don't think we go back to the long-term average, but I can never be too sure about that. Um, but I think you can easily argue for why we would go to 3,200. I, I think that it's meaningfully within the possible and sensible outcomes if you have a contraction of 100, 150 basis points in the net profit margin and you get a little bit of a contraction in the multiple from a high interest rates. These uh, tables here are just basically so you have an understanding of the sensitivity um, to the S&P 500 from these different uh, variables. Uh, I won't go too much into details because then we could talk forever um, because we need to get to the to the bottom of, uh, of all of this. So this is uh, slide 14. Here you can see that we have come off the highest operating margin in, in recent history. And there is natural mean reverting process in the operating margin. So we are rolling over. We have the wage pressure. We have the commodity market, as we talked about. Some of the S and P 500 fundamentals, also based on the two uh, tables you had before. So right now, if you look at the forward consensus estimates for earnings next year, two hundred and thirty five ish dollars per share. If you take the current net profit margin that we had in Q three of this year, the earnings we've just ended, and you and you multiply with the expected revenue for next year, and the revenue figures are pretty relatively easy to forecast because they often track with one year lag, the nominal GDP growth. And um, then you get to $218. That's in itself a pretty big uh, miss on the downside. And then if you expect the net profit margins to go all the way back to the historical average, then it would be 171 That's probably too aggressive. But it just gives you an idea of how unprepared the market is for what could unfold next year. Also, in terms of expectations, we also have a U.S. equity risk premium on slide 15, so this is the um the inverse uh, of the P ratio, which is the earnings yield, and then if you uh, you compare that to the ten year, uh to the ten year yield in the U.S., you have sort of a spread, and that tells you how much premium you're getting from uh, from investing in equities, and that premium had lowered to some of the lowest levels in more than a decade. So again, not a very pretty recipe to say the least for equities. Um, slide slide sixteen, quick quick table. So we have the margin pressure. These are some of the uh, the different industries that have seen the biggest margin pressure. So just try to be aware of where where is the pressure right now in terms of the economy, and try to avoid getting too much exposure to that. And now I think we need to end on two things: so uh, Europe and China. And um, before we talk about Europe, Kim, I here on slide seven I've put in our MSCI World Index model uh, on valuations, and you can see with the little orange dot there that we are actually having an equity market that has an equity valuation that is not significantly, but I would say reasonably above uh, average since 1995. I think that is a pricing, just as you said on the on the interest rate, it's a pricing that not fully reflects the potential outcomes for next year. And that is why I think the risk reward ratio is not really that particularly good for equities as we move into 2023. and And maybe one of the markets that have been I don't know, maybe the most complacent or also have had a lucky hand this year because the European equity market is in fact tilted a little bit towards the physical world, Kim, with energy companies and defense stocks and mining companies. But then, um, uh, what What? You're, you're questioning here on slide 18, whether this luck can continue for European equities. Yeah, but
0: yeah, that's actually quite interesting because I had a, a look at uh, all 50 stocks yesterday in the Eurostox 50, and it was energy, defense, and insurance that's been driving this. Uh, all other sectors or uh, stocks they have been down uh, for the year. So, so again, energy. It's just how long can it go? Um, but, but it could also tell you a little bit that I think we'll see a, a correction in, in in energy, as we talked about uh, earlier. Uh, but energy will probably still be quite strong. So that could kind of put a, you know a little bit of floor. Or hold a hand on, on, on uh, indices like the stocks 50, because it's so energy uh, heavy and also defense, which really at the moment with war in Europe is really much up in, in, in time. Absolutely. Uh, insurance a little bit uh, different, but um, uh, I think I think that maybe can put a little bit of a hand on, 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 uh, on European equities compared to US equities, which is much more... Um, uh, technology-driven, apart from the Dow Jones, which also has been quite uh, strong lately. Uh, and they are also, you know, energy. And, and you can uh, argue maybe the Dow Jones actually is a little bit more similar
1: to the exactly stocks. Yes. To the stocks exactly, yes. Yeah. Uh, final theme, which is the big joker, I think, for next year. Uh, China has been a very odd country, to say at the least, in the past couple of years. Uh, been very much out of tune with the rest of the world, both in terms of capital flows, their uh, policies towards uh, covid it's been it's been a very strange thing we had a lot of stimulus in the us and europe china was sort of you know took the back seat on that they never really did a lot of stimulus as we did um uh, because they were export oriented so they could sort of enjoy the benefits of a massive boom in uh, in the um, in the you know in the global economy when we came out of the pandemic and 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 now they're trying to reopen because the cost of doing these mass testing and locking down their their The different regions just getting too much, and on slide nineteen, I've just put in two charts. So the first one to the left is the outstanding shares in the MSCI China A uh, ETF here in Europe, and this gives you a sense of you know committed capital long term to Chinese A shares. In other words, a temperature on the uh, on the confidence on this country's uh, equity market. Excuse me, and um, what you can see here is that in in uh, in the recent recent period you know the the outstanding number the outstanding number of shares have come down mm. con- so so investors are pulling out a little bit and then if we look at the long term chart where you compare the msi china with the msi usa i mean chinese equities have been in a constant drawdown and underperformance to the us and dollar terms since the peak during the uh, basically during the great financial crisis uh, it's very ugly. And I've said it before. I mean, the common prosperity means no profits for shareholders. So I, I'm not very positive on Chinese equities. And I don't know what you're seeing, because one thing is the long-term investor outlook. Another approach to China is to just be, okay, I don't care about the fundamentals and, and what, what I think about China. But, you know, just tactically trading the market, there can always be opportunities both up and down. So I don't know. You have put in here the China A50 index. What do you, what do you see here, Kim?
0: Yeah, I'm... I'm- Quite interestingly, we had a we had a bounce off from the uh, the lows back to uh, two years ago, uh, but we are still in this medium term actually also a little bit longer term down uh, trends. uh Didn't even touch the uh, upper uh, falling trend line, and I don't believe we will do that because uh, it seems like we're slowly uh, starting to to move around a little bit. So yeah, I could see uh, China um, test the uh, ten thousand level, and then we are actually back for a few years. Uh, before uh, since we have seen that, so uh, but it's very interesting for China A fifty to change this uh, bearish scenario. Thirteen thousand five hundred is the first level, and that's we're fairly close to it. And that would be what the upper part of that falling trend. That's line. the upper part of that falling tra- trend line, or the uh, yeah the upper falling trend line there. But to change the entire uh, downtrend. Fifteen thousand. You need to close about that because then you're also above the uh, two hundred weekly simple moving average, which is the red line, almost uh, horizontal there. So that's that will be the main thing uh, next year to look at. That's the main key level to look out to the next year. We could still uh, uh, jump above thirteen thousand five hundred, but I think that will only change it um, short, medium term. Not going into longer term.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, what are the fundamentals that would drive such a move? That of course would be, you know, a successful reopening, uh, and, um, and and a US and Europe, European economy that doesn't contract too much. Because we have to think about it, there is there is a limit to how much China can do in terms of stimulus. It's the, the economy is much more over and and saturated with debt, a weak financial sector and a weak uh, real estate sector. So it, the China is really dependent on a lot of demand coming from uh, from the developed world where they can export their goods into. So um, very challenging environment indeed for China but a very important one an X factor for the energy sector for the global economy as a whole um it's definitely some of the things we'll be watching next year. I want to thank everyone for uh, for listening this is one of our this was a special edition on our equity outlook and a special thanks to Kim to to join uh, to join the podcast that you don't do that that often maybe that's something we should change for for next year but it was definitely good to get a different perspective on some of these things. Uh, that we talked about. And um, I hope you'll join some of our other special editions. We're putting out a lot of special editions, also an an outlook on currencies and commodities for next year. So um, tune in to the Saxo Market Call for more special editions as we head into the new year. And I wish, and both Kim and I want to wish you a happy new year and we see you uh, next year. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.